All right, good morning. So good to see new faces today. I'm going to try to get things set up so I don't create too many distractions later. I'm going to get the distractions uh, sort of attended to uh, first. So uh, as usual with our bulletin, you can follow along the sermon. And I want to just make a few points, especially um, to those that may be here for the first time. This is not, these are not intended to be all-encompassing and the only thing that's in the, in the text and the message. These are just guides uh, for us and some concepts for us that's being suggested to think through. But there, God's word is so rich and so deep, I, we can't put it all on the bulletin. So these are only a guide. So it occurred to me today, and then even our regulars here, you're going to see something new at the bottom. Holy Spirit is running this church. Holy Spirit's preaching uh, here. Holy Spirit should be leading our, our worship and, and, and all that we do. And so down to the individual, I've put Holy Spirit three times just because we have a point that Brent may have put on here doesn't mean that's the only point. And if, as he speaks to you today, you might want to jot down, he's saying this to me in addition to this, okay? All right. So as is our custom, our, our sermon today is called Living Martyrs. Um, and is our custom, it's coming from Matthew uh, chapter 11. We stand here uh, to honor God in the reading of his word. So let's do that together. Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I've got my, my title slides off. Uh, it should be Matthew chapter 16. Verse 21 to 28. Please pardon, pardon the slide. Let's see if I got it right on the next one. Oh, look at that. It looks better on this one. Let's just go with that. All right. Matthew 16, 21 through 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and that he must be killed... And on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in his Father's glory with his angels, praise God, and then he will repay each one according to what he has done. Truly, I tell you, some are standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Praise God. Hallelujah. You may all be seated. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. And we say thank you, Lord, for your great and marvelous word. As usual here, that was our core text, and every text has a context. So I wanted to just take a moment 
to get ourselves oriented correctly as to where we are and what exactly is happening. So this passage today, it represents a crucial turning point on Jesus uh, entering the final and most crucial phase of his ministry. He's making the turn from third base and he's in the home stretch at this point. His march is toward Jerusalem. You see that in verse 21. Jesus came to this earth on a mission. He had an agenda, and that agenda has a goal, and the goal led to a Roman cross that already was awaiting him in Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 in the New King James Version, it presents us a word picture. It says, when Jesus, when the time had come for him to be received up, the New King James says, Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. I love that language. Can you relate with that? Steadfastly set his face to go. That means I have made up my mind. Can you re I see some head shaking. You can relate. I'll relate a little story. Um, hiking in the Smoky Mountains. Samantha and Samara and I, we'd been on the mountain face for what seemed like half a day. And we're going around. But we set out. We wanted to go to the top. But we'd been on the mountain face all day long. And... Um, Finally, we get to a sign. We had to bribe Samara with chocolate bars to get her that far. Uh, wait, <laughs> three or four Hershey bars is, is what it cost us. So, uh, so we finally, we get to a sign, and the sign says, Summit, only the arrow doesn't point this way or that way, it points that way. So we'd been on the mountain face for what seemed like forever, but we looked at each other and it's like, we've come too far. We're not going to turn around. And so with our hands on our hips, we look up and follow the path with our eyes and we resolutely set our face on the peak of that mountain and we kept going. But you know, there's joy after the suffering. Jesus said when he was going, he said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again in three days. Joy comes in the morning when you hang in there, doesn't it? When you don't give up, doesn't the, the, the sense of accomplishment and joy come in the morning? Samara's joy came this way. After we got to the top, she piggybacked on me. And we went back down and she was smacking hands with everyone that was still going to the top. And they say, did you make it? I made it. I made it. You know, but so on the, on the way back, though, uh, it's, not, it's not hard. I wouldn't piggyback her up to the top and... But, but joy comes in the morning. We, we hang in there, right? Okay, and so this is a similar situation now, only it's much got a lot more gravitas. We're not talking about hiking in mountains and sweating and, and huffing and puffing and, and, and that. We're talking about the whole deal. Jesus is going all the way, and it's soon, it's around the corner, and he's resolutely set his face to following through. Praise God, Jesus is not a quitter today. Yes. 
So you've been in a similar situation too, haven't you? Whether it's been work or school. You know, one situation that come to mind, I know many of you have faced this in, in, in stretching and resolutely setting your face for the goal, a scheduled surgery. You know, if, if prepping hasn't been hard enough, the worst may be yet to come, but you're not going to give up because you're in too far and joy will come in the morning if you just press on. My friends, in this passage, Jesus had entered into his home stretch and praise his name, he's no quitter. And that's the reason for you and I to have great joy this morning. His love never fails. It never gives up. And it never runs out on you or me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Along the way to the cross, Jesus had been hinting to his disciples that he was going to sacrifice his life. But he wasn't using plain language. He was using symbolic language. But if you look now in your text in verse 21 of Matthew 16, you'll see that it says Jesus began to show them. Some translations, like the New Living Translation, said he began to say plainly. Time was short. There's no more beating around the bush. Can you relate with that? Yes, I can relate with that as well. Jesus began to speak to them plainly. And it was vitally important that the disciples knew exactly what he was talking about. But you know, it was a hard truth. And a hard truth is a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? It reminds me of my grandmother, Laura Keith Denny. Laura Keith Denny. She called me from the hospital when I was an adult young man. And she said, no kidding, just about this was the economy of words. Come on over and see your grandma. I'm going to die soon. This is just not the kind of greeting you normally get on a telephone. And I said, uh, I went there and I held her hand. And... Um, she shared her dying thoughts with me, and she entrusted me with a dying wish for me to carry out. The clock was winding down on her time, and she spoke very plainly to me. But until those days when she got sick, whenever I visited her, she would often have a Bible open and a magnifying glass, because that's how she had to read it. And her last goodbye was a tough pill to swallow, but she trusted in the Lord, and I will see her again. Amen. Amen. This was Jesus' message to his disciples. Only they didn't hear the good news yet. They focused in the wrong direction. Yes, Jesus said, I'm going to die soon, but he also said, I'm going to be raised soon, and his disciples would see him, and there would be joy one day soon, joy in the morning. And we've all read that wonderful story of that Easter morning, that first one. For this part, moving in, there's a point I'm going to make. I'll just go ahead and diffuse the mystery. 
The point I'm going to make is that Jesus identified Satan in this passage, but it was Peter that did this talking. And so my point, the point, is that Satan is a booger. He never stopped hounding Jesus. But I got a feeling that whatever he was doing to him, he likes to do to you and to me. So with that point revealed, to make that point or to look into that point, open with me. <clears throat> I want to put together these texts because they're all coming from Matthew chapter 16. So let's look at ch chapter 16, verse 15. I'm going to back up a little bit because something happened right beforehand that really fits in identifying Satan being at work in this thing. Verse 15, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. He says plainly, on the third day, I'll be raised up, but all Peter heard was die. To which Peter says, never. That was one pill that Peter couldn't swallow, so he tried to spit it out. Now carefully notice that Jesus' response. Get behind me. Not Peter. Get behind me. Satan. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? Have you heard that in scripture somewhere else? There's something eerily familiar with get behind me, Satan. And it goes to the temptation of Jesus in the desert by Satan, which ended with Jesus saying, be gone, Satan. Something from that temptation was eerily familiar in this one. And the key is the devil never stopped hounding Jesus, but he never could get ahead of him because Jesus recognized him 100% of the time. If we don't recognize the devil messing with us, he's going to mess with us. So Jesus, get behind me, Satan. So what I want to do is I'm just going to do a, what do they call those movie trailers? Let me just do a movie trailer for the temptation. Notice the wording. And I can tell you in, in the original Greek language, it's the, the similarity is spectacular. I'm trying to do this in English. In, in the temptation, um, Satan talking says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. I'm waiting. Right? Jesus says, 
Away from me, Satan. Now, let's do a trailer of Matthew 16. But this time, I'm just going to paraphrase the ideas using some of the wording structures that lay underneath some of the, the English here. Peter says, you are the son of God. Right? Jesus said, I will die and be raised to life. Peter only heard die. Peter said, if you are the son of God, this can't happen to you. That's your similarity. I wish we could do a little bit more and put, put some of the, the Greek language up here. But the point is, Jesus identified the serpent. And it wasn't Peter per se. It was his old adversary. Luke, in the temptation story, Luke adds this one important detail. And this should sink in. Luke said, after the temptation that Satan left him for a more opportune time. Here is a more opportune time. And after this one comes the next one. And so on. The devil is persistent, but Jesus is consistent. Amen. Satan is so brazen, though, that he always overplays his hand. I think you probably heard Pastor Andy say that time and again. He doesn't even care if you know it's him. He just keeps up with the same tactics. And there are two things about Peter's response that's a real tip-off that it was Satan. First of all, we don't rebuke Jesus. Right there, out of character for Peter... Jesus recognized this isn't, this isn't him. Peter doesn't rebuke his master. No, no way. So when we see that happening, and number two, he only focused on the negative. Isn't that so characteristic of the devil? Just wants you to see the bad stuff and not the good stuff. Joy's coming in the morning. Joy's coming in the morning. No, don't want to hear that. Did you hear what's happening first? You have, to, you have to go through all this. You can't do that. Well, if you're a child of God, then that wouldn't happen to you. Hmm. Joy's coming in the morning. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to be on Jesus' side because Jesus is on my side. And he's never not been on my side. Amen? Amen. The whole of the gospel shows plainly that... Um, that Jesus, um, that the devil not, never stopped hounding Jesus. He was being hounded from his birth at the slaughter of the infants. He chased Jesus wherever he went. He appeared to Jesus in the form of Jewish religious leaders who Jesus said in John 8, your father is the devil. But it wasn't really the Jewish leaders per se. It was the voice that was coming out of them and they allowed themselves to be used by him. And now with the clock winding down, here's Satan one more time throwing his old tricks in the ring. Let me ask you a question today. I'll try to back that up. Sorry, I clicked too soon. 
Has Satan been hounding you? I'll tell you what, he's, he's been on me. And praise the Lord, you can rebuke him. Jesus didn't quit. He went all the way to Jerusalem, met his destiny on a cross, gave his life. Your sins are forgiven. He's raised in power and he said, all authority is given to me. And he gave it to you. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. I have equal authority to say, get thee behind me, Satan. And you do as well. We don't have to let him mop the floor with us. We have, we've been empowered. We have the authority. We need to claim it humbly and use it vigorously. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Jesus was consistent. We can be consistent. You can stand strong against Satan because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he makes you stand. And if he causes you to stand, you will stand. Hallelujah. And praise the Lord this morning. But the key is this. The key is being able to identify when the devil is messing with you. Because if you don't catch the crook, he keeps stealing. You may think that he's the Amazon delivery because he's disguised like that. But every time he brings you a package, he's taking something else away. Oh, you know, you've got to wake up to that. Peter went on later, he said, he said, be sober minded and alert. The adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And Paul says that he's an angel of light. Oh, he's slick, that one. He's slick. Well, the key is to identify him and not let him mop the floor with you like I used to do. You know, Peter learned from the school of hard knocks. And you know what I'm talking about. Sadly, that's what happened to me. You know, my history will show I'm not the... I'm a little slow to catch on sometimes. I've not always been what you'd call the brightest bulb in the pack. Not when it comes to catching Satan and, and, and all that's going on. But I know this. When I finally did catch on, I caught on fire for Jesus. And spotting the devil sneaking around me and my property and around my family and my friends finally started to, to take with me. That is the key to defeating him. Jesus said in the next uh, verse, in verse 23 here, he says, you're a stumbling block because you've got your mind set on the things of men and not the things of God. The devil's trick is always the human side of things and not the eternal side of things. Well, if you're, if you're the son of God, you're starving, turn the stones into bread because your human need says you need to eat bread. Man, that ought to be like right away. I'm starting to, like my eyes are starting to open. I don't live by bread alone and neither do you. Well, it's not saying that we're going to defy physics and never eat and not starve and, and, and grow thin, but it's bringing us back to the point of where do we balance out the picture 
by consuming the bread of God in his word. I can tell you most assuredly, I am looking forward to lunch today. I hear it's going to be a good one. But there's a balanced side of that picture. Before I got to the lunch, I had to eat the spiritual word of God. And that helps me to enjoy my lunch. That's going to be so much better. I can just tell you right now, I might make those sounds that uh, drive Samantha crazy. I'll try not to, baby. I'll try not. I think some of you may have caught me doing that at the Oktoberfest. I, there's just something about it. Um, but the balancing factor is what we're talking about. And you know, the best way to recognize the, uh, the devil is by having your mind set with the mind of God and to be in his word. Brother uh, Ken Hagen, a man who picked up his cross and followed Jesus all the way home. He's with the Father now. He said a lot of times our thinking is wrong and it's not in line with the Bible, the Word of God. And if our thinking is wrong, then our believing is going to be wrong. And then the things that spew out of our mouth are going to be wrong. And that's what happened to Peter. Peter had not yet got his mind all the way on things above. Peter's feet was still very much in the sands of Israel, on the ground, and concerned about earthly things. So thank you, Brother Hagen, for your life and your witness, and thank you for your quote. Um, the best way of setting our minds above is studying and meditating on the book from above. The book, the Bible, is the key for recognizing the devil. Romans 12, 2. It's very famous. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true and honorable, pure and lovely, and noble and good, think about these things. Don't just hear the bad one. Filter sometimes and hear the good stuff that's going on too. And I think I'm, I've got a lot to look at because I hear about all that's going on in the country. But You know, there's a lot going on good. There's still a lot going on good. And not only the least of which is this is going to turn around. This turning around. I'm focused on that. Amen. Amen. And you know what? God's got me. I've got the best safety net of all history. I'm not going to be discouraged. God's word said to set my mind in a new way. Turn to a new frequency. Be transformed. Think about what's true and honorable and pure. And in 1 Corinthians 2, we're told we have the mind of Christ. What a precious treasure to have in a jar of clay. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you today. On a couple of weeks ago, we talked about surrender and service and sacrifice. And we talked about this mindset that we had to have, and we have to have a changed mind. And we were in Philippians chapter 2. 
And I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2 because it talks about having the mindset of God or the mindset of Jesus. And I think it's vitally important um, for us to see what that mindset is or remind ourselves of what it is. Philippians 2, chapter 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being made in human likeness. He submitted his will to the will of the Father. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. His surrender led to his service, and his service led to his sacrifice. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind of his Father, because anyone that's seen Jesus has seen the Father. That is the mind of Jesus' disciple. The kingdom work comes first, whatever the cost. To have in mind the, God, the things of God in the mind of Christ requires surrender of your will to God. And surrender of the will leads to kingdom service. Kingdom service requires sacrifice. So today, back to your bulletin today, not that we have homework assignments from church, but if I asked to think about something transformative, I would say as a homework off of this, maybe on one of your Holy Spirit lines, or maybe one of here, maybe make it a goal to get Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through that entire line, deep into your spirit. Take that with you. Meditate on that. I can tell you, you will make the devil tremble when you set that into your heart. You'll recognize him, and you'll start to recognize him more and more. He will have no power over you whatsoever. All right. Moving on to, um, to the next couple of verses, chapter 20, 24. Jesus said to disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The Christian must decide, based on that passage, the Christian must decide to follow Christ at all costs. All costs. And just this morning I had the conversation in our home. I don't know the total cost yet. I don't have to because I'm committed to it all. I don't have to know what the total is. All I have to know is I've got my face 
steadfastly set on the goal. That is tails, whatever. I'm in it to win it. I'm not going to quit. Now, I can say that to my own chagrin because I thought that once in my life and I was wrong. God's given me a second chance. I'm going to honor it with all I have. I thank him for his mercy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Luke 9.23. Probably worth looking at if you've got a device or your Bible hand. Luke 9.23. I'm pretty sure that's in the New Testament. It'll take me a second here. Luke 9.23. This is Luke's account of the same passage, different perspective. Luke picked up on something, and I, I think it's worth sharing here. This is where the message today, the teaching today, gets its title, as a matter of fact. Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. And follow me. You know, when you put it that way, that makes you a living martyr. Because the cross was the instrument of death. But I'm not dead yet. But I've got to pick up my cross today. I probably laid it by my bed when I went to sleep last night. I don't know how that works for sure. But I know... It was there when I went to sleep, and it's going to be there when I wake up. And it'll be there tomorrow morning, too, because I have to pick it up daily and take it with me. So looking at it that way, I'm a living martyr. One day at a time, I'm closer to the goal than I was the day before. The other one is disillusion. And I think this is an illusion and a trick that we need to catch on to. How many people in history are you aware of that defied death? Enoch and Elijah. I have a good feeling they're coming back. All right? I have a good feeling. But that's a different story. But there are two. The rest of us, the vast number of billions... We follow a pattern. If you're going to go ahead and pass away someday, what are you passing away to? And what have you been living for? Why make a horrible mistake? One day at a time, I looked in the mirror. I know I'm not the same spring chicken I was last week. You know, sometimes you can tell a difference between April and October. Yeah, so we're all in the process. What are, we, what are we giving our lives to? And where is it leading us in the future for all eternity? We're dying one way at a time. I look at our pastors. Our pastors are, are giving their lives. They're pouring their lives out one day at a time by, by, by pastoring. Some are witnessing. Some have jail ministries. 
Some work with addiction recovery. Others mentor the young. Some write and some speak. Some pack care packages to feed the poor. Some put in medical supplies. Some turn in their entire career as a medical doctor so that they can go out and, and with the love of Christ, show the goodness to people that can't afford to be treated with modern uh, medical techniques and have bandages and surgery. Some people sacrifice their career so that they can take up a cause for we the people. And some are less grand. Some sacrifice their, their time to cut the, the lawn of the church or clip. But one day, day at a time, you're either doing kingdom work or some other work. Now, one way that we can get our mindset into kingdom work is dedicate your vocational work to the kingdom. Every day I can go to work and say, this I give to you, my Lord. I serve you from my heart to my employer. You're my employer. Now I'm doing some kingdom work. And I'm keeping my mind transformed off of the things of this world and onto the things above. Amen? Amen. For Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, as a living martyr, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul considered himself a living martyr. How about you? Pastor, I think I got this right, had said regarding the end times, please don't embarrass me real bad if I don't have it right. But I think I have it right. He says, about the end times, he says, I'm not an expert on the end times. He says that. Then he says, but I'm going to share this thing. Live each day like it's your last day, but plan as though it's not. Pretty close? Yes. Well, if that's got to do with the end times, isn't the end of your life your own personal end time? So if it's got to do with pick up your cross and follow me and be all in and be all committed and to be a living martyr, the same really applies there. Live each day like it's your last, but plan as though it's not. Right? All right. So speaking of home stretch. We're getting in the home stretch for the teaching today. So it's been a tough one. It's been uh, an interesting one. I could actually, I think a whole sermon series could be preached out of that same passage, passing through from a different perspective six, seven, eight times. But that's not the purpose today. Um, lastly, let's, let's take a look because Jesus, I love this about him. There's always joy when it comes to Jesus. And he doesn't leave us, never leaves us sitting in the dark. So even in this time, very thoughtful of him to tell his disciples what was going to happen. I will be raised on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Verse 27. Well, let's back up a little. Verse 26, 
What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Now, that's pretty risky business, isn't it? So worried that I don't have enough in this world, and then I get to the end of this life, and I find out I'm lost. Or we can do it the other way. Get the hard part out of the way first, and then we pass from this world, and we really have joy in the morning. But you know, there's joy along the way. It's not an all in one. There's joy in your life in Jesus Christ. There's joy in giving. And there's joy in, in, in serving. And there's an eternal reward. For the Son of Man will come in His Father's glory and His angels. Man, what a sight that's going to be. And He will repay each one according to what He has done. For I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. We could go on a lot about those two verses as well, but just suffice it to say, Jesus personally prepares and vouchsafes or guarantees the believer's reward. In Matthew um, 19 and verse 29, Peter again had said to the Lord, hey, we've chucked it all in for you. We've, given, we've left families and houses and property. We've, we've gave it all. And, and Jesus said, everyone who has left houses and family and friends, whatever you've done, you'll get a hundred times more and a bonus. You get it to inherit eternal life. And to paraphrase in modern times, your house, your bank account, your career, if it's done sincerely in the name of Jesus, you receive that back. But eternal life is the most precious reward imaginable. John 14, 3 and 4, it's already there. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you may also be where I am. I think you're like me. You believe that with your heart, mind, and soul. I believe what I'm saying with every fiber of my being. It tells me, and it's sure, and it's true, when the Holy Spirit confirms in my spirit the genuineness and the truthfulness of these words. There is eternal life in Jesus Christ. There is a place prepared for you today. He loved you, and He loves you, and He'll never stop loving you. He gave it all for you. If that's not enough, He's making a mansion for you. And that's human language. I can't imagine what it is. The song says, I could only imagine. But it's true. And you know, I think you're also like me. I don't know what lies ahead. I don't know. I don't have the details. The weight of my cross and its texture, the shape of it, they're still taking shape before me. But I don't need the details because I trust the commander and I pledge to follow him. And that's the same for all of us. We've come this far. There's no way we're going to turn back. And we can bear our cross because Jesus 
bore his cross. We can bear our cross because it brings honor to his name. We can bear our cross because it's a witness to the lost. It's a sermon without words. And it's a demonstration of his love and his power. The cross is how Jesus drew me to him. And our cross is light by comparison. And through it, others will be saved. And that's the goal of my service that's worth my sacrifice and yours. It's praise the Lord this morning. Just letting it all soak in. I know it's a lot. So here's where we are. Some points for us today to take away. How am I laying down my life for kingdom work? You've already heard me say, if you're not laying your down your life for kingdom work, you're laying it down for some other thing. What is that? Something for us to let us soak in. I'm talking to me. How has Satan been hounding me? That is not as elementary question as you may think. Catching on quick is the best way to nip it in the bud. Right? Spot the counterfeit and you won't go to jail for spending it. Right? That happens when we're deep into the Word of God. And lastly, what steps must I take to shut him down? Get into the Word of God and claim your authority that was bought in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ He got a crown and he got a robe and he was given all authority and he's given it to us. And we don't have to put up with the devil's shenanigans. We can spot them and we can deal with them on the spot just like Jesus did. We keep our eye on the destination. We keep our face steadfast on the prize and we'll all get there and we'll be celebrating together for all eternity. Lord God, I thank you. Thank you, uh, Father, for the privilege of being able to be called to speak your word. And Lord, I just thank you for every soul here. Your word does not go back void. It accomplishes its task. I need not know how. I just need to know, Lord, that everything, your purpose and your will is in our hearts and that we set our mind to accomplish it today. I thank you in Jesus' name.